Thank you. Uh, <laughs> thank you, Stuart and Barry, for Bravo. being the dream team. Thank you. <laughs> and uh, we'll certainly catch up again soon. Well, Let me give you an update on the on the markets, how they're looking this morning. First of all, in um, Australia, the ASX 200 down three quarters of a percent. The Nikkei 225 in Japan um, is off. Ooh, it's off about uh, 0.8%. The Cosby in South Korea down 1.1%. And it looks like uh, the Hang Seng is going to decline about 70 points at the open this morning. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. And of course, thank you to Martin as well for being my guest this morning uh, on Money Talk. The weather forecast, fine and dry, cool in the morning. The maximum temperature will be around 21 degrees. Moderate to fresh east winds, uh, winds, strong offshore at first. Going to be mainly fine and dry, cool mornings in the next few days. Temperature difference between day and night, relatively large. Temperature right now, 15 degrees. It's 58% relative humidity. There is a red fire danger warning in force. There's also a strong monsoon signal uh, in force as well. Stay tuned for back chat coming up after the news. Times 8.31, here's Todd Harding with the half-hour news. The Immigration Department has declared invalid a visa granted to the mainland scientist He Zheng Kui under Hong Kong's Top Talent Pass scheme and says his application could be subject to criminal proceedings. Kenny Hodgart has more details. He Jiang Kui is a biophysicist who was sentenced to three years in prison in 2019 over illegal medical practices that involved gene editing of human embryos. At the weekend, he posted online that he had had an application to come to Hong Kong under the SAR's new talent admission scheme approved. However, a government spokesman said late last night that after reviewing Hay's application, the Immigration Department suspected the visa had been obtained through false statements. That followed an earlier announcement in the wake of Hay revealing that he planned to explore opportunities with universities and scientific research firms in Hong Kong, that applicants for the talent scheme would, starting from today, be required to declare details of any criminal records. The government has announced that daily COVID tests for secondary school students will be scrapped from next month, while those attending primary schools, kindergartens and special schools will have to continue testing every day before school until March the 15th, in what amounts to one of Hong Kong's last mandatory testing regime. Overseas, the US Supreme Court has been hearing arguments in a major case that could weaken legal protections enjoyed by social media giants. The judges are considering an appeal by the family of an American student who died in the 2015 Islamist attacks in Paris. The BBC's Nomia Iqbal reports from Washington. At the heart of the Nomi Gonzalez family case is their claim that YouTube, via its computer algorithms, unlawfully recommended videos to certain users by the terrorist group. They want YouTube's owner Google to take responsibility. But since 1996, online platforms have been protected by a specific section of the Communications Decency Act. Big tech lobbyists say if this is weakened, social media and online marketplaces could be open to costly litigation, which could also lead to tight censorship of who is allowed to post online. You're listening to the news on RTHK.
Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Janice Wong and your guest presenter is Jenny Lam. On today's program, we're looking at school lunches. Catering company Lunch and Stars expanded its lunchbox service to more than 200 primary and secondary schools on Monday and Tuesday after some children fell out after eating its meals. One of them, at least one of them, was reportedly to have gone to hospital. The firm has now passed government inspections and is set to resume its services to some schools, but not all. Saying it had lost so many staff during the pandemic, it can no longer keep up with demand. So was this an isolated incident and should we be worried about the quality of school lunches offered to children? What can be done to prevent this from happening again? After 9.15, we'll look at the maintenance of hospital equipment after a surgical light at an operating theatre fell and injured a medical worker. Let us know what you think. You can leave us a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3, email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call on 233-88266. Now to kick off our discussion this morning, we have on the line Amy Chan from Yanchai Hospital, Chiu Chung Hokwan Primary School. Dr. Chung Shan Shan, a senior lecturer at Baptist University's biology department. And Gigi Lau, the head of marketing and sustainability at catering company Compass Group Hong Kong Limited. Good morning to you all and thanks for joining us on the program. Um, so let's uh, start with you, Ms. Chan. Um, school lunches were prepared by parents at your school over the past two days. Um, how would you describe the whole experience? Um, I think it is enjoyable. So, uh, first of all, I would like to take this opportunity to thank EDB first. Since uh, they get a prompt response and clear directions on this issue, especially to the schools in Hong Kong. So, under our school situation and school-based elements, um, we, our, our school management team immediately called for a meeting to discuss some possible uh, solutions. Some, uh, for example, some contingency plans were set up then. Uh, for our school, around 200 students who had ordered meals from the company were affected. Uh, uh, we invite our parents' representatives for PTA, the Parents' Teacher Association, to explore different options under this special occasion. Then, after considering some possibilities, our final plan called Little Chef was worked out, which is like some kinds of fun cooking, love lunch boxes, or uh, home economics lessons. So I can mention more details about that day morning. So that day morning, our school kitchen was very busy. Parents were preparing food and ingredients, while the students are carrying some easier jobs like uh, watching, uh, washing the vegetables and meat, cutting the cucumbers and carrots, mixing the chicken with sauce, even cooking the rice. And meanwhile, parents and teachers as gardens, they gave advice to our students or managed some challenging tasks. So teamwork is everywhere, 
and I was really appreciated. Yeah, that's great, Miss Chan, that you you turned this into a learning experience. Let's turn yes. to Gigi Lau. Gigi Lau, you were with Compass Group um, Hong Kong Limited, which is a catering company. Now, what are some of the challenges uh, for catering companies as the school reopened? Now, this this particular um, uh, catering company that that was in trouble, Lunch and Star, was providing a hundred thousand meals a day for three years. Over the pandemic, there were no school lunches. So, what are some of the challenges for catering companies? Thank you. Um, good morning, everyone. Um, I think for Compass, uh, we may be a little bit different because we are operating in uh, schools or corporate companies with their on-site kitchen. So, we have a lot of more flexibility in terms of manual planning. Uh, now, after the pandemic, definitely we faces uh, similar to other catering company as well, labor challenges, uh, inflation costs, uh, etc. Um, but we managed to somehow, you know, uh, pick and choose the menus that we can, uh, that's easy, more efficiently that we can work on, due to the fact that we have a lot of flexibility on our menu planning. So in a sense, the challenge is still ongoing. Uh, we're still facing uh, labor challenges and increase of uh, ingredient costs, but we are managing the client expectation as well as to explaining to them, you know, uh, the challenges that we face and what we can do to tailor make to their needs. So I think that's how our way has been going since the pandemic or the school had restarted. And much of our school has been appreciative as to um, the different alternatives that we were able to provide. So I think it's uh, talking about the flexibility on menu changes and mm. also in terms of the price differences that we can offer for our clients. Yeah, so you cook the meals on site at the schools. Within the catering industry, can you tell us what are the challenges of cooking large batches of lunches off site and then delivering them? I think one of the challenges is definitely in terms of the logistic, um, not just mentioning the logistic cost behind it, but meaning the safety. Uh, for us caterers, I believe all of us, safety is definitely uh, our number one priority. But when it comes to delivering uh, hot food items from a distance away, um, safety is definitely the number one concern. And there should be, and the same as my company, is strict protocols in terms of delivering uh, from the moment the lunch boxes leaves the factory to arriving to school, there should be some kind of protocols in terms of temperature check and also quality check upon the arrival to the school. So I think that should be some strict protocols that um, caterers should be following as well. Right. I was uh, looking at the Education Bureau. It has um, the, the website. Uh, it has a set of guidelines for meal arrangement in school, and uh, it says hot dishes should be kept at 60 degrees Celsius uh, and uh, cold dishes at uh, four degrees Celsius or below. Um, how difficult is it to, to actually uh, maintain uh, lunch boxes at, at that uh, kind of a temperature level? Um, if given the sufficient equipment, uh, that shouldn't be a major problem because we do have our in our chef team or kitchen team, we do have protocols as to how long we should be cooking the food in a certain temperature by, which is uh, recorded on our, our record cards. So, I mean, keeping those temperatures should not be a problem if a sufficient equipment is in place, for example, warming boxes with warmers inside, with heated uh, equipment as such on the traveling cars. So I believe that's not a very strict uh, protocol to follow, to be honest. All right, so let's go to uh, Dr. Chung. Good morning, Dr. Chung. Good morning. 
What do you think of these guidelines? I mean, uh, just now Ms. Lau says uh, these uh, uh, temperature levels are, are not uh, too difficult to maintain. What exactly is the risk of uh, food going bad if it's not kept at this uh, temperature range? Well, the bacteria pathogens will grow uh, very rapidly. All right. So um, I think um, it's true that if you have the tools, you have the facilities to keep uh, the temperature either below four or uh, over or at 60 degrees Celsius, that, that would be good. But um, another thing is uh, the traveling time. I mean, if it is uh, just uh, uh, you cook the food at and then take out the food at around 100 degrees Celsius and then put it in a lunch box, uh, put it in a, in a esky, something like that, um, after several hours, if if you 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 don't have enough manpower to deliver the um, the food immediately to the school, or you deliver to the school immediately or on time, but uh, that's not the, the lunch hour. So sometimes I, I actually saw lunch boxes uh, uh, already waiting um, for hours um, in the in the schools uh, because they were delivered too early. So it has to be at the right timing. So by the time the the, the children, uh, the kids are eating the lunchbox, they have to be at the right temperature. So that, that is the challenge. Because um, after you have um, delivered the lunchbox on site, if it is too early, um, of course, you, you take out the, um, the lunch, all right? So you, you, you leave um, the, the, the lunch um, um, out of the uh, uh, warm boxes. So um, it's, it's actually... Uh, um, a matter of um, logistic and timing, um, and obviously, um, 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 this uh, 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 luncheon star um, they they find it difficult um, to uh, closely adhere to it. Okay, Gigi Lau. Um, so, uh, Dr. Chung made the point of uh, how long is a lunch sort of exposed to the. Um, Incorrect temperature, if you like. How far ahead do uh, do do these catering companies prepare the meals? So suppose lunch is at twelve o'clock. How far, you know, how many hours ahead, and how much time would these lunches be exposed to uh, not suitable temperature? I don't think I'll be in the right position to to talk about because we don't really rely on a central processing unit to serve schools. But typically, when we are serving on-site and cooking on-site, uh, our control is within two hours that we need to consume the food uh, under a certain temperature. So once that past the hour, uh, unfortunately, we will have to take it back to the kitchen and nurse not to be served uh, to the students in the school. So that's kind of like the safety protocol that we have in place. Um, but I, my understanding is when we are doing delivery, there are certain time limit as well from our clients which might limit that we need to definitely uh, send the food over to them earlier than the two-hour frame that was mentioned uh, earlier. Okay. Ms. Chan, uh, yes. with, with, with the uh, Yanchai uh, Chu Zheng Hok Wan Primary School, yes. are schools aware of um, how far ahead these meals are prepared? So Dr. Chung was saying, uh, you know, uh, well, Gigi Lau actually said uh, two hours is about the max um, her company will allow. Are schools aware of how many hours these lunches might have been exposed to an unsuitable temperature? Um, you mean the temperature? Yeah. The how, how long are the lunches standing there before the kids have them? Like at your school, suppose lunch is at 12 o'clock, how far ahead is yes. a delivery? 
Yes, yes. Okay, let me. Ex- uh, I try to explain. So, um, the lunch box will arrive at school at about eleven thirty, and then the teachers and parents, uh, parents, uh, parents volunteers, uh, they start uh, they start to distribute the lunch box uh, to different classroom. And last time we we also checked the temperature. It's just about maybe uh, it's below below sixty. Maybe just forty to fifty degrees. Sorry, uh, you you mean you checked the temperature of the lunches and that it was under sixty degrees? Yes, un- under sixty, under sixty degrees. It should. So, okay. Yes. Yeah, so, uh, uh, I mean, I mean the the food from the uh, caterer. Supplier. Yes, mm. caterer. You mean yeah. when it arrived at the school? Uh, and but uh, for uh, actually, I just interviewed some of our students and I asked them uh, whether the lunch boxes are hot enough, and they said it it was cold. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. But um, for for us, you you remember that we just mentioned uh, our activity of love lunch boxes. Uh, the parents uh, cook the meal uh, on site just in our school kitchen. And then those lunch can be maintained. Yeah, of least, course. Yeah. Yes, at least uh, in ninety degrees. Right. So, so we're yes. talking about the the problem here were the catering. You know, the the lunches provided by the caterers. So you said what when the school lunches arrive in school every day, the yes. schools do you check that the te- do you check the temperature of the food? Sure. sure. Every day you check that. Uh, maybe just uh, this incident was happened after this incident was happened, and okay. then we start to check. But uh, up to now, uh, you know, today actually the food, uh, the the food service uh, will will be resumed today. So uh, we will still remind children to check their lunchbox first before putting the food into the mouth. Yeah, but 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 the, but the school and the parents, what do you what do you do to check? I mean, the children don't know, you know. What do you do to make sure that it's safe for the kids to eat? Mm, I think I think they have first we we use our uh, we use uh, some uh, equipment. Uh, I, we have the the lunch a big lunch box. Maybe mm-hmm. it can uh, a big box a plastic a plastic box uh, to at least to maintain uh, the level of temperature the level of. Uh, uh, an ideal temperature uh, for students before they eat. So you said you said the lunch is delivered at eleven thirty. Do you distribute yes. it straight away? Take it to the kids straight away at eleven thirty. Is that what's normally done? Uh, around we will give them at this time. Yeah. All right, Miss Chan. Um, like you mentioned, uh, Lunch and Star uh, it, it will resume its uh, lunchbox service uh, to your school today. Um, mm. How, how do parents and students feel? I mean, are, are students confident about the school lunches they will get today? Actually, we have already explained to students uh, the the process. Yes, the lunch uh, the lunch process today, and so maybe some some parents still insist to bring their own lunch to school. Right. How many percent of the parents are doing? How many percent of the kids are bringing their own lunches today now? Do you, um, do you think? For for detailed numbers, I haven't counted it. Yes, but I think maybe maybe several several students will bring their lunch box. So minority. Yes. 
And will you be taking extra measures today to uh, ensure the safety of the lunches? Yeah, so we will ask the students to check their lunchbox before eating. Like if then, uh, once they found there are some, uh, there is some strange taste, uh, so they, they have to tell the teacher. Okay. Um, my other question, Ms. Chan, is, you know, this Luncheon Star, it's serving 200 schools. Yes. Why, why do so many schools go to the same caterer? Presumably, there's an economic oh. reason. Uh, actually, uh, every year, maybe, yes, every year, the school will invite different meal suppliers for providing school lunch services under an open and fair selection process. And the process will, uh, there are, there are some members like parents, representatives, teachers, the school <coughs> management teams are doing this process to uh, choose the supplier. So on a large, yes, that's why maybe, maybe the lunch, lunch, which, uh, which company I forgot. Luncheon uh, Star. Yeah, Luncheon Star, uh, they get this invitation from school. Okay, Dr. Chong, you're into campus sustainability. What are your thoughts in terms of uh, sustainability in having so many lunches delivered across Hong Kong, presumably in styrofoam or plastic boxes? Well, um, they may not be in styrofoam um, lunch boxes, but um, certainly when I what I saw uh, at the TV for this uh, luncheon star um, uh, food container, uh, the food containers that this luncheon star use, um, they are disposable, one-off containers. And, and I, I don't know about the, the eating utensils, like um, uh, do they use the uh, um, plastic fork or spoon or, or, or the, the, the steel one. Okay, so um, obviously this is um, not sustainable. This uh, generates a lot of waste unnecessarily. Uh, if the schools or the um, supplier, um, Lunch and Star, uh, would have um, the sustainability mind, um, they should collect back um, those lunch boxes, uh, have it uh, uh, washed, washed, not very thoroughly washed, but uh, at least make, make, uh, make sure that um, all the major uh, food residues are clean away. And they actually can be sent to Miu Miu. Um, that uh, um, liquid paper board recycling plant in Hong Kong for recycling. Gigi Lau, do you think that's a good idea? Yeah, I think uh, one of the uh, well action plan or program that we're working with clients is uh, if there's not sufficient, sufficient dishwashing areas, or if there's actually labor challenges when we are hiring when we are trying to hiring dishwashers. We also try to leverage external dishwashing companies as well, where they will be using reusable boxes and sending that back to them for washing. So in a sense, that's definitely a, a contribution to sustainability. Uh, I suppose there's a cost concern as well. It would incur yeah. a lot of extra cost. Yes, of course. Yeah. Um, so, Ms. Chan, going forward, uh, do you expect um, most of the children will resume these lunch and star lunches? Or mm. Actually, uh, in my opinion, as we all know, in terms of COVID-19, it has affected our lives for almost three years. So, uh, um, on, on the view of empathy, empathy, most of the public services companies, uh, even big firms, are just resumed 
so I think time, space, and communication should be provided for one and other. Yes, uh, for us to discuss how to uh, improve the services and uh, let them to rebuild the reputation. Right, and uh, I mean, what what is the school's plan? Will you consider changing your lunchbox supplier or, or getting a new supplier that uh, may be able to uh, cook on site uh, at your school? Uh, at this mom- moment, we will still uh, 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 use this lunch company. It's a uh, food catering service uh, based on the contract because we have already signed the contract last year, maybe two years ago. But uh, when the contract is finished, we will invite uh, different meal suppliers again for uh, the selection process. And of course, um, the food hygiene and safety are still the most important issue that we, we will concern. How, how, many, how many caterers do you choose from in the year? Maybe five. We will invite five. Um, we will we will uh, post an advertisement uh, public uh, on the public, and then maybe five uh, food catering services uh, service company will uh, take part in the uh, will come and uh, accept our invitation and take part in this uh, selection process. And Ms. Chen, this time um, more than 200 schools were affected. Um, how do you think the government should uh, follow up on this uh, to prevent it from happening again? I think um, the government should um, have to uh, maybe use some uh, version. Uh, they, they have to adapt to adopt some measures. Uh, like maybe set some rules or uh, actually they some... they did they did test their samples and 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 it all came back okay so dr chung um uh, you so you with the biology department um what are the some of the things that maybe uh, the the health inspectors should be looking for in these catering companies well, I guess, um, now, since um, they have uh, the FHD or the Center of Food Safety, they have already tested, taken the samples on site and have, te- have them tested okay. So I guess um, this, um, um, uh, if, if you, 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 you call this a uh, uh, food uh, poisoning incident, um, is perhaps um, caused by um, a few uh, or some um, non-recurring uh, bad practices. Right. Um, I, I don't exactly know uh, when, uh, where uh, it went wrong, but um, it could be the storage temperature, it could be the food that is cold, but they are allowed to stand in the room, tempi- uh, in, in room temperature for so long before they are delivered. So they can be sit- uh, left uh, um, uh, not warmed, not cool, not uh, refrigerated uh, anywhere in the process. And the food preparation process uh, is also important. Um, uh, if there are uh, uh, lack of uh, manpower and they hire some um, part-time or uh, temporary staff, um, they may not be properly trained enough or their practices are not good enough um, uh, for food hygiene. So um, if all these uh, are cleared, um, they properly train the people again and they uh, make sure that there are enough uh, vehicles and drivers to deliver the food once they are cooked and within two hours they are sent to the 
um, school and the school children will eat them within two hours. Well, I guess um, there is no problem. All right. So um, it's all about uh, practices. And um, already FHD, Center for Food Safety, they have a lot of guidelines. Uh, if um, you think that uh, um, there is more monitoring, close um, um, uh, um, day-to-day monitoring is necessary, um, I, I, I don't object to it. But again, um, if um, it is Luncheon Star, uh, and Luncheon Star is not the only um, caterer, uh, catering supplier, right? So um, it's, uh, it's obvious that um, FHD will need to have um, uh, a lot of send a lot of manpowers out um, to do um, on-site inspection. Um, I know that they are already doing it, but um, uh, I, I don't think the frequency is um, frequent enough um, for for uh, once every day or once uh, or turn, um, uh, a few uh, uh, once a few days. Um, so how often should it be? How often do you think it should be? Well. Um, for this uh, luncheon star uh, incident, uh, if the um, food samples already are fine, um, I will. Th- I, I think um, once every week, uh, but at an um, uh, announced uh, manner. So you don't tell the luncheon star uh, when um, the uh, inspection, uh, on-site inspection will come. Um, the of uh, uh, um, the hygiene inspectors will come. All right. Otherwise, they they will prepare ahead, <laughs> so you you can't see the truth. So uh, once a week, I, I think, uh, because um, uh, I know that uh, in other for other um, um, food companies or restaurants, um, the um, uh, food inspectors, uh, hygiene inspectors, they come um, kind of like once every month. All right, uh, Dr. Chung, hold your thought there for a moment because uh, the news summary is coming up very soon and uh, we'll have to take a short break. But of course, we can continue our discussion for a bit longer afterwards. Um, also, many thanks again to Ms. Chan for joining us this morning. Amy Chan is from Yanchai Hospital, Chiu Chung Hokwan Primary School in Chengyi. And later on in the program, in around uh, 15 minutes' time, we will look at the maintenance of hospital equipment after a surgical light at an operating theatre fell and injured a medical worker. If you have any comments or questions for our guests today, you can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RCHK Radio 3, or give us a call on 233-88266. Now, here's the weather, fine and dry, cool in the morning, and the top temperature today will be around 21 degrees, winds moderate to fresh easterlies. Right now, it's 15 degrees, relative humidity 58%. Welcome back. This is Back Chat on a Wednesday morning with Jenny Lam and me, Janice Wong. Still with us on the line is Dr. Chung Shan Shan, a senior lecturer at Baptist University's biology department, and Gigi Lau, the head of marketing and sustainability at catering company Compass Group Hong Kong Limited. Um, let's go to uh, Miss Lau. Um, Miss Lau. Hi. So, so before the news, uh, you you mentioned, or actually, actually, the start of our discussion, you mentioned uh, you talked about uh, labor challenges within the catering industry for um, school lunches. Um, can you tell us a bit more about that? I mean, how serious is the problem? Um, I think there's uh, several issues uh, riding to that. First of all, is obviously the labor loss in the market. That's been on the news with uh, immigrations and such. Uh, with uh, talents uh, leaving Hong Kong, that's one. Secondly is obviously with the resume of the market, uh, with the hotels resuming, all the restaurants coming back, um, there's quite a 
quite <laughs> for talent, I would say, where you definitely need to probably pay uh, double uh, the price or uh, even triple the price to secure the right talent for the right role. Uh, and as you know, kitchen relies on a on chef, which is a specific talent that's required, and that's becoming uh, a challenge in terms of you know hiring kitchen staff uh, more than frontline staff. Yeah, so we're having this conversation because some of the children uh, reportedly fell ill after eating um, food from this caterer um, luncheon star. And according to one report, this was uh, according to iCable News, some of the children um, said the pasta was hard, the, f- the meat appeared to be something wrong with it. What kind of um, training and how long is this training um, for staff who work for catering companies? Um. Now, every company is different. For us, we do have like a training plan as to what is the new, as a new staff in the company expect for the first 90 days. Uh, training including hygiene, safety, uh, food program, and also uh, for kitchen staff specifically, we'll be guided by our culinary team as to what's the proper way of cooking food and also what's the standard of recipe that they should be using. So behind the scene, there's a lot of, of those admin work where there's a recipe management system, there's an allergen control or nutrition training that kitchen staff should be receiving uh, when they join the company and hopefully by 90 days' time they should be picking up and also be performing uh, as suspected. You mentioned, you mentioned chefs, a shortage of chefs. Is that something that's across the board in, in the catering industry in Hong Kong right now? Definitely. Um, I think in Hong Kong in particular, we are facing uh, the fact that maybe a lot of younger generations are not willing to step into the kitchen because due to the fact of hardship or long working hours. So we're facing a generation where many of the kitchen staff may be already at their 40s or 50s where we don't have a younger generations to be picking up um, the experience or picking up even just the task of being a cook. Um, so we're facing that kind of challenge at the moment where we might need to leverage um, one of our programs at our company is to see if we can hire some um moms that's been, you know, raising their kids uh, for the past few years, but they're looking for a job outside and they're good at cooking. So so we're trying to hire those uh, moms as well and also give them a job opportunity to see if we can expand that pool of chefs that we can work on ex- instead of just targeting chefs that's been working in professional restaurants or hotels and such. Right. So so how many how many are how many people are you training right at this moment, your company? Wow. Um, <laughs> I think Across the board, um, just in terms of kitchen staff, we have around over 300 or 400 uh, chefs, um, uh, considering a kitchen helper as well. So um, we do trainings every month, and we do have platforms online, a staff training, where they can always go on for assistance. So um, I think it's a matter of uh, how we train the trainer as well, and we ha- how we can empower our unit uh manager or even a head chef in the unit to get them on their toes to train the staff so that they can help them to run the operation. How many schools do you serve? Currently uh, uh, 38. 38 are these primary or secondary schools? Um, it consists of both. Uh, majority is international schools. Um, so majority of our schools has that, do have their own kitchen uh, at the moment. And so, so how many kids are we talking about that you serve a, get, a day? Wow, well, I don't have the big numbers. Um, Ballpark. 
approximately? Uh, ballpark, I would assume around. Hmm, I would assume around ten or ten or twenty thousand per day. All right, let's yeah. go. All right, let's go back to uh, Dr. Chung. Um, before the news, we heard from Amy Chan, who uh, who is from one of the schools affected by this uh, latest food poisoning scare. Um, she told us that some of the lunch boxes um, that uh, this, her students uh, have been eating were uh, maybe around forty to uh, fifty degrees Celsius, which is uh, a bit colder than what uh, is recommended by the government. Um, can you can you tell us a bit about the risk of uh, eating a lunchbox that? At, at that temperature? The risk is obviously uh, microbiological hazards, all right, foodborne diseases. Uh, it's very common um, and it is um, microbiological hazards is um, the most common number one cause of food poisoning in Hong Kong and in the world uh, so far. Um, so um, other, I, I think uh, other than the temperature, the temperature may be uh, uh, really um, uh, posing a risk uh, uh, below 60. Uh, however, there are also other areas I think um, uh, we need to um, uh, mention uh, for food poisoning. And, and I, I really don't know uh, which is the main cause of um, this false incidence of uh, food poisoning in the luncheon star cases. So other reasons could be contamination through raw fruit when they are, are, are preparing the food, uh, especially when you're uh, imagining that there's uh, all of a sudden there are lots of uh, orders and we have to, uh, and, the, and the company has to hire uh, new staff without enough training, without going through the um, 90 days of proper training. So it, it could be possibly uh, one of the uh, reasons uh, as well, other than uh, improper holding temperature and also inadequate cooking. All right, so there are many possible reasons. Um, uh, temperature is only one that uh, um, uh, you can check. Um, otherwise, um, uh, in fact, um, if it is uh, a short holding time, um, a short time below uh, uh, 60 degrees Celsius, it should not pose a lot of risk. It's more about um, a bel- uh, an improper temperature but exposed for too long. Um, yeah. And already um, we, we've heard that um, um, uh, a, lunch, uh, a catering provider has told us that they are in their protocol is two hours, so two hours maximum. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so um, I think uh, it's, it's not a major issue if you find that oh, the lunchbox when you, it is arrived at a school site is below 60. Uh, but um, it, it's, uh, it matters uh, more uh, how long it was. Uh, remaining elect, um, allowed to to have a temperature drop below 60. Okay. How long? So how soon they're delivered yeah. to the children after delivery. And uh, how soon they eat it. Right, okay. So so if you were to talk to a group of primary school age children under 10 years old today, what are you going to tell them to look out for? Um, if um, uh, they have no choice but to buy the lunchbox um, from the school caterer, then I will say um, first, they have to practice their own good hygiene. All right, wash their hands, make sure that the eating utensils are also clean because they are also possible sources of food poisoning. All right, and then when they open the lunchbox, um, uh, as uh, um, one of the um, guest speaker has has already said, well, they have to smell, look, uh, and feel. All right. So um, now, 
it may may not be easy for uh, primary school ch- children um, to to um, find out. But um, if um, uh, a food is um, uh, has too much uh, pathogens, um, too much bacteria, um, our experience in the lab is that it it, it will feel sticky. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, and, yeah. Uh, if if it is food that should not be sticky, but it it feels sticky, then. Uh, is, is that must be something wrong? And of course, smelling um, is is a, a strange smell, uh, or it has a sour smell where uh, it should not be. All right, the color, all these um, can be can be a, um, an indicator. But of course, um, uh, it's it's not really that easy um, to rely as a prime to rely on a primary school children. To do this, I, I think uh, for for the really junior primary school children's lunchbox, um, the teachers has to check it, check, randomly check a few uh, before um, they are delivered to the children beforehand, because uh, <laughs> it yes. can be too risky yeah. to rely on them to check. Teaching lab, Doctor Chung also uh, suggested earlier that that should be random inspection of uh, catering companies. How often is your company inspected by health inspectors? Um, I would say it's not, uh, the frequency is not high, but uh, our internal audit team goes to all our sites every single month for auditing uh, on HSE procedures. And also we have our headquarter team to go down to units to do what we call safety walks. How frequent? Uh, for different units. Once a week? Um, Every, yeah, once a week. Uh, so we have a target numbers that each of the headquarters staff needs to accomplish every year. So uh, our objective is to go down to unit to make sure that all the HSE and also caring for the employee has been has been in place. So when that you say ensure, yeah. when you say unit, you mean the individual schools, yeah? Yes, that's correct. How often do the government inspectors show up? Um, for us, it's a little bit different. Um, I think it's probably quarterly basis. Um, like once every three months? Yeah. That's that's once a school term, basically. Yeah. And so do you think it should be more frequent? Um, I think they should be. Uh, instead, uh, we have our own protocols as well, so we're prepared uh, when they come. Is that, is that, do, do most other catering companies have the same kind of protocol? Is that normal practice in your industry? Internal I, protocols. I'm not too sure about this, uh, but I would not. Uh, I would believe that's a general protocol. Right, but, but Miss Lau, apart from increasing these inspections, or what other things do you think the government can do to to prevent this from happening again? Um, I think one point I would like to raise up is um, obviously is the price of meal boxes. Um, to be honest, that's really affecting the business itself. So um, when we reach out or when we receive tenders from schools, uh, we usually look at the prices and then evaluate if this is something that we can afford to do as a business and be a, be a sustainable business. And looking at uh, some local schools, the meal prices is uh, definitely very budgeted. Um, so that might be a cost of, you know, in terms of the quality, um, not mentioning uh, safety control because that's a given that uh, that's a must do, but definitely on the quality of the meal boxes to be served. Yes, yeah, so from a catering point, caterer's point of view, um, how much should a lunchbox be to make it work? Well, if current, you know, inflation and labor costs, uh, I will recommend something to, you know, $30. Uh, what we are seeing from a lot of, uh, local school, they are still currently asking for $22. So there, there's still a big gap uh, in terms of what 
kind of choices that can be delivered to school at such a budgeted price. All right, uh, Ms. Lau, we'll have to leave it here for now. Thanks again for joining us this morning. That's Gigi Lau, the Head of Marketing and Sustainability at Compass Group Hong Kong Limited. And many thanks also to Dr. Chung Shan Shan, a Senior Lecturer at Baptist University's Biology Department. You're listening to Backchat. Call us on 233-88-266 and have your say. It's now 16 minutes past nine and it's time to move on to our next topic. And it's about the maintenance of hospital equipment. After a surgical light at an operating theatre fell and injured a medical worker at United Christian Hospital. To comment on this, we're now joined on the line by Alex Lam, the chairman of Hong Kong Patients Voices, and Dr. David Lam, lawmaker representing medical and health services. Good morning, Dr. Lam. Good morning. And good morning, Mr. Lam. Good morning. Thanks for joining us on the program. So, first of all, Dr. Lam, you've been a medical doctor for a long time. Have you heard of anything like this happening at Hong Kong hospitals before? No, actually. For the past 30 years, I've never heard of things like this before. Right. And, uh, Mr. Lam, have you spoken to any patients about this? Are they concerned? Well, um, not yet, but uh, I I have been um, receiving um, operations for quite a few times, so uh, I, I would uh, I would be shocked uh, if uh, uh, hearing this news, uh, because the last thing that uh, you undergo operation in an operation theater, the last thing you see would be the light. Yeah, and you don't expect it to fall on you. <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely. So, Dr. Lam, you, you're the right. legislator for the medical and health services. What's being done to make sure this is not going to happen again? We have contacted the hospital authority immediately, and they, as they have also uh, done to the press, they told us what they have done so far. So they have asked the manufacturer to check all the OT lamps of the same model and also the same brand as soon as possible. And what they should do next is to report what they have found to the public and make sure that only operating rooms that are safe will be used for patient care. Now, right. mind you, it is the pendant that falls off. Uh, of course, the pendant is connected to the light, and there are other pendants in OT rooms for various purposes, so that has to be checked as well. There are lots of other equipment in the hospital that needs to be checked. What are the regulations as far as maintenance is concerned? Now, the maintenance is basically a requirement imposed on the hospital authority and all private hospitals by the electrical and mechanical departments. And I think the uh, Department of Health also requires that all these instruments are up to standard before they would give the license to the hospital. So supposedly they are all under regulation. But then it is sometimes the maintenance or the checking itself that could be possibly at fault we understand that that particular OT lamp has been checked just two months before the accident happened. So that's a very short time, two months. Uh, so the next question is, why did it happen despite of the checking within that short period of time? So what did they check? Did they really follow the protocol? Or is there a design irregularity with the OT lamp that leads to all these issues? 
So we're still waiting for a report. All right. Now, according to some media reports, the um, Swedish manufacturer of these surgical lights actually have um, they have two previous records of defective screws and surgical lights in the United States. Um, Dr. Lam, what do you what do you think of this latest revelation? It's shocking that we are not told. I mean, the Hong Kong Hospital Authority is not told uh, because if there are lost screws, that means. The screws that fix the pendant to the ceiling can drop off without anyone noticing. And there are just a few of these screws, as I understand, like six of them that uh, keeps the pendant uh, fixed to the roof in the ceiling. And if some of those fall off without anybody noticing, then that means that poses a serious danger to who's, whoever is working underneath the lamp. And it is quite uh, shocking that the company kept that as a secret and not not this disclosing to all um, the customers. Yeah, so as a, as a legislator and as a doctor, what kind of changes would you propose um, as far as making sure that equipments are safe? Now, first of all, we have to look into the regulation so far that is working. And one must understand that it is still a very safe place. For it has never happened before in Hong Kong, at least not for the past 30-odd years. Um, at least we have two air flights accidents in the past 30, 40 years, but none in an operating room like this before, so it's still a very safe place. But I think the hospital authority has to make a few reports, and based on that report, we have to decide what has to be changed. But in the meantime, a regular or, I mean, an ad hoc checking of all these equipment will be in place to make sure that patients are safe. Right, Mr. Lam, what's your view on yeah. uh, on what I just mentioned earlier that that some media yeah. reports uh, actually found yeah. that the the manufacturer of the surgical lights actually had two previous records of defective screws in surgical lights in the United States before. Yeah. What, yeah. what do you think? Well, I mean, I, <clears throat> I mean, why why do you think uh, that uh, the Hong Kong authorities didn't know about it? Well, um, I, I have no idea whether the the company actually informed uh, the HA about the incident. But what I, I see uh, from the internet search is quite different from what uh, Dr. Lam had said. Uh, actually, the, the manufacturer had made a report to the FDA about the, uh, the finding uh, uh, the missing screw or the, um, some problem with the light, uh, reporting to the FDA. So the public can actually make a research about this, and uh, I spent half an hour in my office to find this uh, information. So, um, uh, of course, I, I'm not sure whether it would be the duty for, for the manufacturer to um, inform the, uh, the HA. However, uh, the, the, the company has to make sure that uh, if this information they submit to the FDA, they should also uh, likewise submit to the HA for their consideration uh, for, for a, a, a warning. Of course, uh, the most recent incident about the missing screw in the light was in December last year. So it's about two months ago. And when the checking in the uh, relevant hospital in Hong Kong was also done in December. So I'm not sure whether the, the, the people or the technician doing the, uh, the checking had, were, were made aware of the, the, uh, the screw problem. But this incident, uh, um, as far as you know, or reported by the HA, that there was some problem with the screw that is uh, broken. 
Um, so there's another problem apart from what uh, Dr. Lena has said. Uh, there, there might be a problem with the checking. Yes. Yeah, if there's a problem with the, the, the material used in the light, then uh, there might be a system that uh, you should uh, replace uh, certain uh, important parts uh, once in a while to make sure that they function well. Uh, because from what we heard, the light has been in use for over 10 years. Okay, so so the, the, the this is the, uh, the Food and Drug Administration in the U.S. that you're referring to, and, and according to their website, um, the same manufacturer of the surgical light uh, had had reported that a similar light in yeah. in France actually, um, the screw yeah. it it it, didn't, it which is was actually just missing. It just wasn't there. Um, yeah. So, um, Dr. Lam. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. This is a faulty instrument. This is presumably, you know, if you buy something and, and, and part of it is missing, um, you should go back to the manufacturer and say, hey, you know, what gives? What What do you think should be done now? Exactly. Now, when they found out there's something wrong with the instrument and they noticed a screw has been gone missing in other parts of the world for the same model, and they reported to FDA. Why FDA? You said the, um, the accident happened in France, was it? They, so they did report to the European authority, but they reported to FDA. What does that mean? Well, then they report to us in Hong Kong. And even reporting alone, uh, now we are talking about the manufacturer who is responsible for checking their own uh, products in the hospital authority, at least for this particular model. So. If we don't know, then the manufacturer's own uh, mechanical personnel should know where lies the problem and where is the hazardous part. And even if that is known to them, they did not check the screws, then one must ask, has there been some serious um, fault in their checking? So that is also another area that we have to look into. Does the manufacturer, is the manufacturer responsible for checking these lights? Do you for know? this one. Okay. All right. And uh, is there some sort of a risk alert protocol um, that, that exists uh, for, for situations like this? I believe there should be. Say, if you drive a car and something goes seriously wrong with the model or the design, then you well, we always have that, call back up the cars and then get things repaired or replaced. But now we're talking about O2 lights and not happening. And only after the accident happened in Hong Kong that we realized that there has been similar screws gone missing in other parts of the world. And we're kept in, in the dark. So I think that is totally unacceptable. So do, are you, are you saying... the authority should consider not using this brand anymore in the future. And, and, and maybe approach the manufacturer about, about the likes that we already have. The manufacturer should have the responsibility to, of approaching the customers in the first place. Right. So, so it's right. like when you buy a car, the... the, the, yeah. the how the, could you know? How co when you are the driver or the owner of the car, how could you expect yourself to know something's wrong with the design of the car? <laughs> right. It, do you know, Dr. Lam, Dr. Lam, do you know if this manufacturer is only responsible for um, surgical lights? Is it responsible for other hospital equipment? They make a lot of hospital equipment, from audio lights to intensive care equipment, to anesthetic machines, so they are quite a big company, 
and almost a leader in the profession. I mean, in in the manufacturing of these OT equipments around the world, uh, they have area. They serve areas such as uh, intensive care unit, cardiovascular units, uh, sterilizing processes, and so on. So they're quite a big company. So what do you think um, the hospital authorities should be done regarding the other equipment right now well, under this brand? Must, right. Well, I believe the hospital authority has to talk to the manufacturer and have good protocols for reporting similar uh, findings of faulty instruments, even if, if it happens in other parts of the world. So we must not be left in the dark if something's gone wrong with the design. Um, you know, I'm looking at a photograph of this this surgical light. Basically, is on the gurney, and anybody who was under it would ha could could have uh, been seriously injured. Um, Alex Lam, what are some of your advice to patients who who might be at risk of being injured? Not not specifically by this light, but of um, surgical instruments or hospital equipment in general. Well, uh, <clears throat> basically, I, I, I can't make any advice to the patients because <clears throat> they are supposed to, to have a safe environment, uh, not to mention that they are going to uh, receive the operation. But I will expect the HA to, to um, contact the uh, electrical and mechanical services department and to invite them to undergo or conduct an uh, investigation over the incident. Because uh, you remember that uh, just a few weeks ago, two doctors from the same hospital were charged with manslaughter over a medical blunder. And this accident could lead to a, uh, another uh, fatal accident. So I, I think the, uh, the EMSD would have the expertise because uh, they have the uh, health services division to provide service to the public hospitals. I've actually written an email to the department uh, suggesting them to, to conduct an uh, investigation to see if there's a problem of a possible negligence, technical issues, or manufacturing of product defects leading to the incident uh, to make sure that it won't happen. All right, uh, Mr. Lam, I'm afraid we're out of time. Thanks again for joining us this morning. That's Alex Lam, the chairman of Patients' Voices. And uh, many thanks also to Dr. David Lam, medical and health services lawmaker. And uh, also many thanks to you who commented or emailed us today. And, of course, to our guest presenter, Jenny Lam, and producer Yuki. Now, here's the weather. Fun and dry, cool in the morning. And the top temperature will be around 21 degrees. Winds moderate to fresh easterlies, strong offshore to start with. Right now, it's 16 degrees, relative humidity. 56%. Many of us have replaced our ID cards already. So why are you still holding an old Smart ID card? The application period at Smart Identity Card Replacement Centers has been extended to March 3rd this year. Collection services will end the same day. All Smart Identity Card Replacement Centers will be closed after March 3rd. Book now via telephone, internet or mobile app if you haven't replaced your ID card yet. This is the final replacement. Don't miss your last chance.